In the first episode of Culture Dig, during our Dope Box segment, I was talking about the different types of green energy technologies that have been around for a while and should already be in use. Then Jimmer said... Yeah, you sound like this is a really pressing thing. And I'm just saying, I've heard recently, it was a year ago, a couple years ago, do you remember this? They're talking about we'd pass some sort of threshold. Um, I feel like I've read, in, uh, have you guys read Freakonomics, the sequel? Negative. It's, it's super, oh yeah, they, they, have, they have the documentary. In the sequel, Super Freakonomics, they talk about basically we're already fucked and we need to start looking at different avenues, things that seem almost like out of left field, not to reduce carbon emissions, that actually we need to take carbon out of the atmosphere. At this point, so they talk about like replicating volcanoes or, or you know giant filters. And now, I will answer. So this time on cool shit, how pre-Columbian Amazonians could save the world. I'm going to tell you a story, a story about black gold, not Texas tea, not oil, but Amazonian soil. Satellites have shown us that most of the dirt in the Amazon was actually blown across the Atlantic from the Sahara, and is one of the reasons that the soil in the Amazon is so poor. There are three types of soil naturally found in the Amazon. Acrosol, oxisol, and cement, spelled with a P, which form a topsoil that is not very useful for growing staple food crops. Topsoil is the upper, outermost layer of soil and is where almost all the plants we and farm animals eat are grown. Topsoil is a fragile thing and is subject to wind and water erosion, depletion of nutrients due to over-farming, and scarier still, it's usually only two to eight inches thick. Think about that. Everyone on Earth is only two to eight inches from starvation and death. And only around 13% of the Earth has even those two to eight inches of topsoil necessary to grow food. So what gives? How did millions of people survive off the food they could grow in such shitty soil? Well, the answer is, they didn't. I said that there were three types of soil naturally found in the Amazon. But there's one that's unnaturally found. That's right, pre-Columbian peoples made soil, called terra preta. Terra preta, literally black earth or black land in Portuguese, and owes its name to its very high charcoal content, and was made by adding a mixture of charcoal, bone, and manure to the otherwise relatively infertile Amazonian soil. It is very stable and remains in the soil for thousands of years. Terra Preta soils were created by humans between 450 BCE and 950 CE. As we discussed, most topsoil is between 2 and 8 inches deep. Terra Preta can reach depths of 6.5 feet deep. Now, I've known about Terra Preta since around 2000, when Terra Preta was its only name. Now, Terra Preta is often referred to, by the scientists that have been studying it, as biochar. What is biochar? Biochar is the base on which terra preta is made. Biochar is charcoal produced by heating organic material at high temperatures in limited oxygen. It is a stable product, very rich in carbon, which is used to lock carbon into the soil. Professor Tim Flannery, 2007 Australian of the Year, described biochar as the single most important initiative for humanity's environmental future. It allows us to address food security, the fuel crisis, and climate change all in one immensely practical manner. What are the benefits of biochar? Sowing biochar into the soil increases the water holding capacity of the soil, 
increases crop production up to 300%, increases soil carbon levels, increases soil pH, decreases aluminum toxicity, decreases soil emissions of the greenhouse gases carbon dioxide, methane, which is more than 20 times more powerful than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas, and nitrous oxide, which is 298 times more powerful than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. Biochar also improves soil conditions for earthworm populations, improves fertilizer use efficiency, positively changes the microbiology of the soil, and increases the liquid carbon pathway. Let's examine those last two for a minute. The liquid carbon pathway is a symbiotic relationship between mycorrhizal fungi and 90% of all plants that have developed over the last 420 million years. Plants will purposely produce extra carbohydrates, simple plant sugars, then extrude that surplus into the soil to feed the fungi. Mycorrhizal fungi cannot live without a host plant and, in exchange for this sugar, the fungi will mine and transport nutrients and water back to its hosts. For every cubic meter of soil, these fungi will send out as much as 12,000 miles of root-like projections so that they infiltrate every area of the soil. Fungi can access nutrients and water unavailable to the larger plant roots. Nurturing this symbiotic relationship with biochar is essential for long-term climate change mitigation and reversal. One of the most notable results in the shift in weather patterns has been a deluge of rain followed by a drought. Not only does the biochar itself absorb more water, but it can also establish and nurture the growth of mycorrhizal fungi. Mycorrhizal fungi produce glomalin, a sticky substance that cements soil particles together, creating good passageways for air and water infiltration, allowing soils to absorb and retain more water. Then when drought follows and water becomes more tightly held by soil particles, it is the fungi that can send its roots into the small crevices of the soil and extract and accumulate molecules of water and transport it back to the thirsty plants. In a similar way, the fungi transport nutrients back to the plants. Fungi can use its acids to release nutrients from the soil and even rocks, transforming rock minerals into formats now usable by the plants. Likewise, there is a certain nutrient that only bacteria can extract from the soil, and the fungi will exchange sugar for the nutrients the plants need in a complex symbiotic exchange. The study of this relationship has shown that soils under perennial crops that are allowed to fully develop contain more available nutrients than neighboring soils on which agricultural chemicals have been used. A study done at the University of Illinois showed that agricultural chemicals kill or reduce soil microbes, resulting in a net loss of soil carbon. As the mycorrhizal fungi go deeper into the soil to mine nutrients and water for the plants, they deposit more and more carbon in the form of glomalin, a substance that is believed to be quite stable once it is deposited, and is what the term liquid carbon pathway refers to. The more mature the relationship is between the plants and the microbes, the more volume of soil is accessed on behalf of the plants by the microbes, and the bigger and more reliable is the corresponding crop productions. According to research done by Dr. Christine Jones of Australia, pasture soils with healthy liquid carbon pathway associations have been increasing the amount of carbon that they sequester beneath the grasses each year. Currently, some pastures have been sequestering as much as 32 tons of CO2 per hectare per year. This makes biochar even more key to the reversal of climate change because biochar enables this vitally important process. And in areas where all the mycorrhizal fungi have been killed by herbicides, biochar can be inoculated with the mycorrhizal fungi to return them to full productivity.
Biochar can sequester carbon in the soil for hundreds to thousands of years. Researchers have estimated that sustainable use of biochar could reduce 12% of current anthropomorphic emissions. Basically, that means, without really trying that hard, and without stepping on too many toes, we can make a 12% dent in the greenhouse gas emissions. But fuck that. Let's put on some hard sole boots and stomp some toes. Mainly the coal, oil, and farming industries. Biochar can be used in place of coal. The gases released while making biochar can be made into a synthetic natural gas, a.k.a. syngas. Syngas can be turned into bio-oil, which can be used to make transportation fuels such as methanol, hydrogen, biodiesel, and gasoline substitutes. Given the fact that the byproduct of making biochar is syngas, and if your goal is to make syngas through biocharring, the byproduct is biochar, this ends up making the entire process not just carbon neutral, but carbon negative, which is a plus. And as stated above, it drastically reduces the need for fertilizer and prevents the fertilizer from being washed away and polluting our water supplies. So what do we use to make biochar? There are two plants that I think are prime subjects. The first is bamboo. Bamboo grows incredibly quickly, which is one of the reasons it is often used to make sustainable, eco-friendly products. Replanting bamboo is fairly easy thanks to its swift growth rate. The spreading root structures allow one rootstock to produce several shoots, permitting horizontal growth. Some species can literally grow 12 inches per day. If you actually had the patience to sit there all day, you would notice the growth by the end of it. Bamboo is a useful plant in addition to its income-producing capabilities. It's a perennial. You don't have to replant it each year. It's an evergreen and therefore photosynthesizes year-round, removing carbon dioxide from the air even in winter, and can even rejuvenate soils depleted by overfarming. The second plant is hemp. No, not the high as balls hemp. But industrial, you'd die from smoke inhalation before you got high hemp. Industrial hemp is the number one biomass producer on Earth. It yields 10 tons per acre in approximately four months. It's a woody plant containing 77% cellulose. Wood only has 60% cellulose. And beyond biochar, hemp is refined into products such as hemp seed food, hemp oil, wax, resin, rope, cloth, pulp, paper, fuel, and new potent antibiotics in the fight against antibiotic-resistant staph and MRSA. Why is this shit still illegal? Oh yeah, money and politics. But let's save that story for another episode. Studies so far have shown that the greatest positive effect of biochar applications have been in highly degraded and nutrient-depleted soils. So in conclusion, my plan would be to use every form of green energy-producing technology, again, that's another episode, then biochar poor soils first to grow more bamboo and hemp to create a cycle of biocharring and slowly turn poor soil areas into farmable and grazable land and bring back the buffalo because they are delicious and nutritious. Then I'd use the newly created hemp and bamboo fields to biochar the already productive soils and create super productive soils and keep going until we can give a big fuck off to climate change, fossil fuels, and world hunger. The world could be better than we have ever imagined. We just need to fix what we fucked and keep going with scientific footprints in the sand. And this time, it won't be just a dream.